Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Dr. Christopher Sleep. He's practiced education and science to help inform your brain and to discipline your body through the process of how you focus to live, learn, think, and respond to tension, stress, or pressure. He is the author of Education and Science Literature and the founder of the Human System Science, the study of the brain, body, and sense events to improve the sense and receive path functions of people who have been hurt by major life events in the home, school, neighborhood, and workplace networks. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Slayton. Hey, thank you for having me. Appreciate it very much. Well, it was really interesting uh, talking with you the other day and learning about your work and how the brain affects uh, child behavior in schools. But we're going to start off with uh, the question I ask everybody. Tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. I found that to be a very appealing question because it brought to mind um, a young girl whom I was contacted about by a parent that brought me to Merced, California, where um, the first day I got there, she had an IEP. And so I attended the IEP, not knowing that I was going to be in it, but I met with the district director over IEP, along with another uh, person. And so we went into the IEP, and there was a lot of things that they were talking about that I understood, but I couldn't understand how they convened the IEP the way that they did. Because we were dealing with sense and receive path functions, and I was learning how to talk about sense and receive path functions, because when you're dealing with children that have been abused, neglected, or subject, subjected to drugs while in utero, they have specific behavior patterns. Okay, so this, this young person, before I went in, the mother had already told me that she suffered from hearing, hearing loss and speech uh, damage. So I had a sense that the brain was, was involved in the negative influence or impact on her behavior inside the classroom. But this was a child who had been in school for about three years and had never experienced success in school. So I couldn't understand why she didn't have the support service that she had, because, you know, three years of successive, successive failing grades qualified this kid for an IEP and a specific look at diagnostics to try to figure out what's going on, what's going wrong, at the least to get us some support services. At this time, she was still in the regular classroom with all that going on. So I left that meeting knowing that I had to I had to gather enough information to come back and try to figure out how to have this discussion so that I'm not misunderstood, so that the parent is, is understood as bringing me in to help her help understand what's going on with the child. Now the child was a, was a um, was a granddaughter. It was very complicated because a grandparent she expressed, "Well, I don't have any kids. I don't I don't know how to relate to this problem." So I had the goal in mind to not only gather information, but how do I inform the grandmother so she's more comfortable working with the granddaughter who's isolating, withdrawing from her because she can't figure out why she has to go back to school when the school, in her opinion, was hurting her. So the first thing I did was I looked at family and I gathered 
from interviews with, with, with the family, I'm telling whoever's living inside the home, with the granddaughter and, and the grandmother. And then I had to obtain educational records so that I get a sense of what was going on from the school's perspective. And then I went and I tried to gather as much sociological data as I possibly could. So that's, that means any types of social service agencies that she's involved in, Boys and Girls Club, Girls Scouts, whatever, to get a sense of the environmental things that are going on and to see if she was moving through contact in that regard. I took all this data and I began to observe how she and her grandparent made contact and moved to interact because that's how, in my opinion, you define sense and receive path damage with a child whose sense path is damaged because of the breath of life experience or life after that point because they have a, a, a way of making contact and withdrawing simultaneously and you can sense and feel from the transaction whether or not they're actually processing information. And then more importantly, you can get a sense of whether it's being transferred in knowledge because you look at the next step. The next step is the experience of comprehension of the interaction and we see withdrawal and isolation. So that's why I began to talk to the, talk to the grandparent from so the grandparent can figure out how to settle herself down and begin to learn the child. And then in the process, I had to figure out how to organize an environment where I can get the parent in a classroom and the child also in the classroom, but not make the child participate until she was ready, but learn from the parent's responses to me, asking a series of questions, dealing with home, school, neighborhood, and then workplace. The grandparent was retired, but I still wanted the, the granddaughter to understand the parameters of the discovery process when you're trying to bring a child to understand these experiences of home, these experiences of school, these experiences of neighborhood. Because the teacher's workplace is the school. So he wanted, I wanted her to understand that relationship between the teacher, the parent, and the child. So I, I had all this data, and the goal then became, how do I have this discussion so that the kid begins to realize that me and mom are talking about her, but in the sense of how we can help her do better in school, and from that, get her to slowly and methodically begin to turn towards us and listen and let us know that she's listening. That was the most com complicated part. But then when I started interacting at the district level, I went to, a, I think it was a third IEP, and it was a, a behavior, emotional support team in the room, and no one had told us they were going to be there. And they were saying that, that this child didn't qualify for any services. And so I, I then began to show them the data that we were compiling on home, school, neighborhood interaction, where the child was not doing well in the home, was not doing well in the school, and was not doing well in the neighborhood. And we could relate that to contact interaction with the people. She's not moving through contact interaction. Any other situation, that's mental health. I understood that. But in the school system, I was learning that they don't look at mental health the same way that I, for example, I had the family get in contact with the county for mental health services. Mental health came in the room and it confirmed that the school does not deal with the mental health side in the IEP. Otherwise, the kid would have been diagnosed at the beginning when she came into kindergarten. These were the things that led me to study more closely brain, body, and sense events. 
because that's how you tell the story of the child who's been hurt or damaged by life. The experience in a home, neighborhood, and workplace network. There was also a kid, I got to act, whom had been abused by her father at, uh, shortly after birth and then thereafter. And couple that with the fact that both of them were substance abusers. And so there was no way that the grandparent had this knowledge about what the actual crisis entailed. But once I began to show her and talk to her through these IEPs, she then changed her approach, you know, or cursed at the kid. She then understood, I have to treat you with a higher level of care because you teach the parent it's the signs of care that you want this child to experience because you want her to realize that you see her and that you're beginning to understand, okay, it is more than just you. I understand there's something going on because the kid knows there's something going on because they're withdrawing and isolating and they feel uncomfortable because they want to be social because the brain is a social organ. They want that contact interaction, but it hurts. And that's what I'm trying to explain to the grandparent. The pain of that emotion that the child can't recognize because that's that's what they're involved in. The emotional effect of all these things that have not been explained. And that's the purpose of the classes so that directly and indirectly we're covering really, really critical issues, but in a way that the child can begin to understand because then you, you try to bring in other kids and other parents and they have similar problems. I had a class at this time with maybe uh, 15 individuals, that's parents and children, so that's about 30 people. And they were all in crises. They were all suffering from sense of receive path damage. Um, so it was easier for the kid to begin to move towards the room and begin to listen because she was, she was problem solved because what the parent does is after the class, all the parent has to do now is model the changes in her behavior as signs of care to help this kid begin to understand, okay, she's talking about me and she's trying to figure me out because this kid who has this damaged sense and receive path and is withdrawing is, is, is waking up early in the morning and trying to walk out the house, trying to walk out the house and you have to figure out well, what's going on. So these are the things the parents are trying to get a handle on. And so that's how I began to look at this problem even differently, and it led me to human system science. You said uh, as a um, result, this child ended up uh, working with the team. Um, uh, they were able to better respond to her needs, and then she ended up graduating on time. Yeah, um, that was the most difficult part, you see, because that put me in direct odds with the county, because the county had a different opinion, a different assessment. And so when we, when we had negotiated at the district level, a resolution, the county came in and threw that off the table. And so we had to start from scratch. I had to advance that information. No, I mean, I had to take the county on because their information was wrong because my data was standing up. I mean, I'm in a room with sometimes two education psychologists. I mean, at one point, it was nine people in the room, just me and the parent. And I'm, I'm staying methodically with my literature and showing them based upon their data, how it relates to sensory CPAP damage, and then pointing out to them when a child suffers from a drug-related disorder, one of the variables that you look for is organ damage. The fact that the young girl had hearing loss, language loss, and some cognitive deficits, 
said, spoke to the effect of the drugs while she was in utero. And I had the medical records to confirm that. So I pulled that in. It took us uh, wow, I she was eight. It took us till she was around 12, I believe, before she actually got qualified through that process. And so I had to, I, but one of the things I, I want you to understand is that I was brought up by Dr. Marie Fielder, who was the first African-American who moved through uh, UC Berkeley. And I found her because of the work that I do. I, I'm very interested in studying the action behind behavior. And that's what she taught me in terms of understanding contact, interaction as co social cognitive events, and then the, the next two levels of cooperation and participation as intercognitive events. And so that's what I was explaining, but I was explaining in such a way that they began to understand at the table and then ask for my literature. And so that's what turned the corner and, but it set me in direct contact. Then I was I found myself in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with the uh, county superintendent at that time. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stop there. But yeah, we did reach a resolution, but you're talking about the trenches. The trenches understanding that I'm in education trying to correct problems because that's my, my calling. My calling is in relation to understanding what it feels like to be behind in school and not have a clue after what's going on, but then go there every day and just learning li little bits and pieces of what you really need to know to feel comfortable inside that classroom. Now you take this young girl, she was further be behind than that because when she tried to make contact, she had to deal with teasing, bullying, peer pressure, and the attacks from gangs to get her to do what they wanted her to do. I mean, there was a lot of things that you're you're dealing with and, and trying to understand the crises of, a, of helping a child who's at a disadvantage because they're not moving through school comfortably. But that's why you look at the home, school, and neighborhood because you're trying to figure out from the kid's behavior, what do you consider the safest place for you to learn how to live inside this environment? She was choosing the neighborhood. That's why she was trying to get out the house. She was trying, she was saying, I feel more comfortable out there than I do inside my own house. She didn't like going to school. There was time when she just walk off campus and they'd be looking for her and call the grandparent. And I would explain to the school that that's because she's not, her needs are not being addressed and learn in terms of how she isolates and withdraws from contact interaction. Eventually the teachers began to, to understand that all you have to do over a period of time they show her signs of care because when you first approach her, she's going to withdraw. But if you stay focused and show her signs of care, so the teacher began to sit her in the room, monitor, and when she did something outrageous, pay her attention, but try to bring her to understand you can't do that and take specific steps that we were talking through. And, and she began to respond to the teacher and her behavior began to change but through signs of care. So that's what the teacher passed to the next teacher. As she was going through high school, you have to approach her physically where she can see you and understand that what you're trying to do is get her to cooperate. Because if you get her to cooperate, then she will participate to some, to the better degree. So it's very complicated dealing with all those different dynamics from state, to local, to county, to local, and then the community itself, 
because this kid's case was so relevant. When you talk about Mercy, and we were talking about maybe uh, 60, 60, 75% of the kids I came in contact with, I could relate as substance abuse, substance-related disorders, a child-related uh, disorders because of parental substance abuse or because of abuse itself, physical and mental, emotional abuse. So you got all these dynamics, and that's why it was it was a type of the trenches thing, because I had everybody coming at me because they thought, well, who is he and what what is he? You know, and I had to teach. And that's what Dr. Fielder told me you don't want to do. In a community, you don't want to teach everybody. What you want to do is just lay down your rules and lay down your procedures and methodically let them see that you're very predictable, that everything you're doing is testable. Everything you do can be confirmed, verified, and repeated by anybody else that comes behind you. That was the strategy. That's how I got through it. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then um, you started then working with districts and um, using some of those tools from that trench story in working with the human system science. Um, so tell me about the process when you and your researchers go out to evaluate a child. Um, you talked to me a little bit in the pre-chat about taking notes, observing how the child is responding. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. In any workshop, it's, it's, it's recorded. I recorded using video so I could play it back to the kids and the parents. And I also have a recorder in the room who's actually taking field notes. And so we use all that because what we're trying to do is frame the environment, record the environment, and play the environment back because that's called community-based learning where you have children learn that have difficulty with contact interaction, learning how to plan, organize, and and, and and, and participate in field events that are supposed to improve community-based learning. So they are planning, organizing, they got to go out and have contact with teachers, parents, and all these other people about this event that they're planning, right? And so all this research that we're taking, we're also publishing. I produced, at this time, I produced maybe four progressive investment group reports that I turn over to the district, the state of California, and all of them let them see, this is what we're trying to accomplish, dealing with substance abuse related disorders. I had Congresswoman, um, uh, my Congresswoman, um, what was her name? You know, our Congresswoman, the one that I work with, uh, um, you know, uh, Matsui. Yeah, that's her name. Congresswoman Matsui, I, I had her office involved. I mean, we were getting a lot of things done because of the, the, the research process that we were bringing to the table. A lot of people looked at me and said, well, hey, do you know that you're black? And and, and, and it didn't bother me. It just it just increased the the um, determinism that I had because how dare you think that black people don't care about the brain? So that's that was that, that's how I was moving through it. And even when I began to do interviews with state agencies about because that's where my data came from, by the way. Doing these interviews, these field interviews, I was bringing that data back into the room so the community people become more aware. Because they don't know, they don't understand how to move a kid through school because it's a science. But they, that's one of the most important things that you'll find is that, that I found is that they devalue education because they don't understand education because education is about informing the brain. Now, listen to what I just said. That's not complicated, but that is what education is supposed to do. It's supposed to inform your brain. So even if you don't know about education, you got to understand the purpose of education to inform the brain and discipline your body because you 
The labor is what the school is trying to develop. And if you don't understand education, it's because you don't understand your own labor. And that's why you want to have a sense of education, because you want to know how to inform your brain, discipline your body, to focus your senses, which all together means be able to count for how you live, learn, think, and respond, you see, to self, other people, and so forth and so on. These were some of the complexities that we were dealing with at, during that period of time. But as you can sense, as I can sense through my, through my book writing, it became more and more understandable because I had room, some, some, some of my sessions were attended by directors from various departments and agencies. I had people trying to steal my work and, and, and so forth and so on. I mean, those are the trenches, you know, you, you are, you're there to correct problems. And I have the, the school district that I'm working for, they're, they're like, why should we pay you for something that we can steal? And I'm like, you can't steal it from me because it's copyrighted. So I got six, seven books with all my stuff that I was doing copyrighted because I was formally educated by teachers. You know this podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Don't go in there without copywriting your material. That's the first thing, because I went to school with, with teachers. So I knew you don't go to school without copywriting your material because you're going to be upset when they steal it. And then where you at? You're an emotional wreck. And that's why you lose because you can't control your body. You can't control your brain because you're so emotionally upset at everybody. And then you throw, well, he's black. No, no. You, you, you plan, organize, and implement a documentary system that allows you to expand your ability to help because everything's being recorded and people pay attention because their name might, might, might be reflected inside that report that you're writing. It has a lot of influence as well. So what I had my researchers doing was confirming or creating that safe space for me to actually do good work. And that's how I transcended and transferred. So I was able to get a lot done. And that's on all sides. I changed the, I was able to change some of the church communities, participation levels. They were competing. They were learning. They were trying to evolve. But the things they didn't understand was you don't have to go back to school to compete. You just have to learn how to learn your community and be able to understand the children that are in crises that are moving through you because if you can't respond to them in church, they're not going to stay there. You see, because you can't see them, you can't feel them, you can't lead them because you don't have an expectation for them because it's not realistic. You're still trying to package them like the school. You can't be the school if you're in the community. Like I said, the school's responsible for developing labor. They're in their lane. You're responsible for developing character. See? Character so that when they get a job, they know how to maintain it because what are you trying to say? That discipline allows your personality to come through and conform to the needs of your family. I mean, these were the things, these were some of the things that were very uh, worthwhile uh, doing this work. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. I hope I answered that question, though. Yes, yes. So talk to me a little bit for uh, people who work in the classroom who might not be in special education, who don't really understand how the brain pathways receive and sense path functions. 
um, how can um, educators better understand this um, when you're working with, for example, classroom management? Absolutely. Now that's why I love Dr. Fielder because she used me as an example as I was coming up. She used the way that I used to present information. She said, well, Christopher, you're too loud, but I wasn't talking loud. So you're talking about my body. My body was too loud. Since the receive pass is how we learn how to experience contact interaction. And it's not a matter of it being loud. It's a matter of how you present the way you make contact and interact through the experience of self in relation to the brain. That's what she was teaching me, that when you move in relation to contact, you want to experience that contact with the intent to interact so you can understand what you feel like. So you look out at another person, and that's what you're trying to distinguish. Because if you don't have discipline, that's loud. When you don't have, for example, they, they would say, like you would say right now, he has passion. That's emotion, but it's packaged emotion. Discipline, self-esteem, and all those things are inside that classroom. So when the teacher begins to interact with that kid, that kid is in the social space. And they're already emotional. The only way they can move through that emotion is if you teach them how to sense, feel, and focus the brain, not the body. Because if you focus on the body, you're not dealing with the brain. You're dealing with the state of the child's mind, the mood state. And to get to the brain, you have to sense, feel, and focus. Teach them how to do this because if they focus, that's a mental state. And inside the mental state, is the interaction with self in the brain. And so when you when you get them to that point, now you can start talking to them about receiving information from you as the lead, because that's what you are. You're teaching them how to be in the lead of self and the brain. Now it's easier for them to understand what you're trying to do to inform their brain is be the leader of that information. So then they have to trust you or learn to trust you. And that's the discipline. They have trust. If, you, if a kid has trust for you, they will try to focus to hear what you have to say. Why? Because you're showing a certain level of care for the way they sense and receive the experience of you. Those are the things we're talking about when we talk about different self-control. So when I go back to education, I say you inform the brain to discipline the body to focus the senses. That's the process cycle. So if you understand that the purpose of education is to inform the brain and that discipline is a mental, physical process where you have the physics of the body and the mental process of the brain that you're trying to fuse so that you can begin to get a person to realize their own self-control variables that they manage themselves because they are trying to help you help them learn to receive information. That's the point of discipline. We talked about discipline in the sense that it's not a physical thing. It's a mental thing. What makes it physical is that you're watching the body and you're treating the body. And that's where you get it crossed up because you, you, you focus on the body because you're trying to learn the brain, not to learn the behavior. The behavior is what you're trying to change. So you have to learn the brain because the brain she helps the kid change the behavior because the intellect that you're developing from the sense, feel, and focus cycle is, is, is encouraging to their sense of feel for self and confidence because they're learning how to interact and move through you, the teacher, because that amount of fear that a kid has in a classroom for a teacher, 
you know, raise their hand. Oh, I don't, oh no, 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 not me. No, you, you have to deal with that fact by understanding I got to teach this kid how to experience me. That's my first step. Teach this kid how to experience me. And if I teach this kid how to experience me, then that kid will begin to what? Accept the model. Accept the model because what is the purpose? The teacher's workplace is to display her labor, his labor. So it's easy to transfer and talk to that kid about their labor because you're saying you watch mine every day. A conversation is to the brain, it's not to the body. So you have to talk to the kid's brain, not their body, because you're really trying to get them to understand. You have to think things through because at the end of the day, you have to decide how you're going to give, it, give your labor, how you're going to deliver your labor. I'm here to help you package it. Those are the conversations. Talk to the brain to get a kid to understand it's not your body I'm talking to. It's your brain. Because it's your brain that has to learn how to choose to work with me. So you go through contact, you go through interaction, you go through the cooperation, which is the most critical part of discipline. Because if you don't have cooperation, I'm talking about both ways. If the kid doesn't have cooperation, there's no way they can have, have, have discipline because they're not participating. And cooperation is what binds the contact and the interaction to the experience of self in the brain. So if you don't have that, you can't get discipline. That's why I said up front, you have to have a sense, feel, and focus cycle because that means the child's social cognitive self is awake and you're respecting the social cognitive because that's a simple state. That's natural learning. That's natural living. But you're leading them to the Inner cognitive state, which is you sense to feel the environment. And as you feel in the environment, you focus because you want to know where you are. You do the same thing in the class. What you want to teach a kid? You come to my class, I want you to relax. And the way you relax is that you use your senses to feel my classroom. And as you feel my classroom, I want you to try to focus because I'm here to help. Help what? Help you move through the experience of this classroom and allow me to help you lead yourself to do that. The brain and the lead of the body. You're constantly talking to the brain. You're constantly pulling this kid's brain into the classroom so they begin to understand, if not you, the next teacher, oh, it's working. Because it's like education is on a, is on a continuum. The first teacher get them, the second teacher get them, but you're talking the same language. You have to get better test scores and grades from your participation, the way you focus as you move through this classroom. Bam, sense, feel, and focus. What? To receive, organize, and express your feelings through a preferred response. I just said it. That's discipline self-control. And that's what you're trying to lead the kid to do, but you first have to talk to their brain. You got to get their brain to understand we can calm down. We can calm down because he knows we're in here. She knows we're in here now because that's the confusion. The kid doesn't have a sense of their own brain, but they're in a classroom and they're trying to use it and not understand what's going on inside of them. So you're actually teaching them by talking to the brain to calm them down from the inside out. And as you're doing that, the calm, the collection, right? And the confidence builds. And you're in the lead. The teacher's in the lead. And now they can see the kids discipline, not only in the classroom, but out on the playground because that's respect. Respect for learning how to feel this kid through a sense of, of cloud, cloudiness.
when you received them to the point in which you recognize your work because they're out there performing, not only in the classroom, but they're transferring to the external environment because they're comfortable. They're interacting with all the other kids, whether yesterday they weren't. So we go back to that kid. That's exactly what she started doing. She became more interactive with peers. She stayed away from the gangs, although they kept coming at her. That's one of the crises of being a kid with a disability is that the gangs are always there trying to use and abuse that kid. Anyway, these are the transitions that you look for because when you're studying brain, body, and sense events, you look at the environment constantly because you got to know, and I'm teaching this kid, you got to recognize that contact, the interaction was safe. So they know safety through signs of care. They have to feel your signs of care. They don't see it. They withdraw. I tell them, don't, no, nope, you don't put yourself out. You you withdraw. That's fair. That's fair because you don't want to be hurt again. I want to tell you anything that's going to put you at risk. It's like a teacher. I'm talking to a teacher. I'm not going to tell the teacher, you got you to gotta soften up. No. Oh, I'm going to tell the teacher, you got to be firm. You got to be firm, but you got to let them know what you're trying to get them to do with their brain so that as a, as a conversation moves on, the whole curriculum is Bloom's taxonomy of learning is about the brain. It's about transition to social cognitive where you're just doing modeling to be able to evaluate actual responses of the child's brain to the point in which you can evaluate their products. And that's Bloom's taxonomy. So he's talking about how you transition from the behavior model to the cognitive model where we can actually begin to look at the brain versus the behavior, you know. So I hope I answered that question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I'll definitely highlight those areas that you reiterated about the need to sense, feel, and focus. And the fact that it's not your body I'm talking to, it's your brain. I think those are important to remember. Oh, yeah. um, let's talk about uh, your nonprofit. So um, you work with um, community partners. Um, you also run some community-based events. Yeah, and um, some of your researchers, uh, you have a mentor and mentee relationship sometimes with people who work uh, with kids. Talk to me a little bit about what your uh, nonprofit um, does for those community members. That's one of, the, one of the nicest things that I enjoy is being a human learning consultant working with a nonprofit because you're able to look at how you can actually improve child, family, and community relations, utilizing education as, as the impetus for developing these relationships because everything that you're doing is about human development. So dealing with human development, you're trying to develop field projects with people that are trying to learn how to move through home, school, neighborhood, workplace networks. That's people in social services. I mean, you can bring everything together in child community development projects. You could bring the police. I've got, I've had sessions where the police have been involved. I've had sessions where um, social services have been involved. I've had sessions where um, just about all the fire department, all these elements can come together because what are they trying to learn how to do? Figure out children and families and try to figure out how to move through them more carefully with less resistance. So you, you, the, the whole thing about community development is how do you figure out how to bring all these pieces together in safe environments where you can actually learn without 
programming and keep it processed so that the people that are coming in from these agencies are really in awe because they're not looking at programming, looking at how this process evolves when you got parents coming in, dropping real information, but having discipline, self-control. Where yesterday's parent was hitting the campuses, she was cursing teachers out and doing this and doing that. Then the same teacher comes in and sees them inside this workshop where they're facilitating and they got control and discipline. Now the teacher can talk to them because now you know how I feel. That's community development. Teaching people how to move through contact interaction more comfortably. And then what are you trying to develop? A sense of care for self and others. So the nonprofit child family community development organization is dealing with human relations. How do you improve human relationships? You improve human relationships by understanding that you have to have a platform that actually builds human assets so that people come in and they can see you're talking about the whole community as an asset. Why? Because we all have something to give. You could take a kid, I've had kids who were gangbangers participate in our projects and leave that behind while they were in the project because they understood we're developing your labor so that you have a choice as you get older because you're developing and, and they got brothers and sisters so that even helps you more when you're talking about human system science because you tell this kid is that the way you really feel now look at your brother and sister when you curse when you when you're acting out just take a look at them and that's what you're putting inside of them to give them a sense of how this really works. You put negative energy into your brother and sister and how are they gonna live through it when you don't even like it? That's why they get involved in community because they wanna save themselves and stop themselves from falling, but they gotta learn how to interact with a police officer. And a police officer, you have to respect the fact that they have to be guarded. But at the same time, I've had police officers who told me, no, I really appreciate it that contact interaction, because they're not going to change. They're going to be fine. And what you got to teach this kid is you have to learn how to help this officer understand how to help you. For example, when you're in a situation and you're moving through it and the police arrive on the scene and you want to get people, you put your hands up. You just throw your hands up and let the police know, I'm okay. I'm not a threat. No, because that's a signal. The officer knows, okay. Okay, he's recognizing me as an authority. And even if he will move him to a, a situation where he can still watch him, but classify him as a non-threat. And if he gets through the situation, that's a card inside that police, that policeman's book, which he cards everybody anyway, that says this person recognizes authority. Right? Just start that's community development. That's teaching people how to interact through hurt, through the experience of feelings that otherwise would cause them to withdraw and isolate. But because they're trying to learn how to live and survive and continue to develop confidence in doing so, you tell them the same thing. The officer has to show you signs of care. There it is again. Because what is care? Thought. Care is thought. The officer shows you signs of care. That's what you're looking for. And you respond to that care. So when you do this, you throw your hands up, and the officer recognizes you threw your hands up. What are you looking for? His response, her response. And as you get that response, you continue to conform. Why? Because you're telling the officer to out yourself, look, 
look, I'm not going to be a threat to you. All right? I'm going to actually help you by not doing anything but hold my hands up. See? And just try to get through this best I can. That's what you're teaching kids in community development. Because the gangs, again, again, and again, there's three things I've already talked about. The teasing, bullying, peer pressure. Yes, the gangs are involved, and that's how they suck kids in. So when they get them in situations, they use them. They're the out. That's what I'm teaching. That's what I was teaching these kids in community development. You got to understand the role and function of you and your labor. Because many of these kids don't understand it's the labor that the gang wants, right? And that's because the labor piece is not connected to their brain and how they think. So they don't have a sense of feel for self in the brain. And that's what you got to teach these kids. And that's methodically what you're doing in community-based learning events. You're teaching them how to make the connection between the person, the body, and the brain. Because the person is the object. And you want to you want the kid to begin to realize you're more than just a thing. There's something inside you that allows you to make choices. And the choice that you make is what everybody's trying to get you to understand. And so when you get punished, it's because your behavior is so bad that they can't ignore you, that you feel that they're attacking you. But that's because you have no sense of feel for how you should actually move through the contact interaction and let them know that you care. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a cycle. It's a, cycle. It's, a, it's a learning cycle. I call it, I mean, when I first began to do this research, I called it like it was Osmond. I read his book maybe a thousand times. Human learning. Human learning. That's all it is. But it's not behavior learning. It's human learning from studies of just just studies of watching how human beings make contact and interact. And they do this because in the process of moving through the, the contact, you begin to learn about how you interact. That's human learning. That's how humans learn. But the problem is many of us don't know how to, how to experience the contact long enough to interact with a knowledge kicks in about the learning process and the information you're acquiring to get you to appreciate the experience of moving through that contact. And that's what, you, that's what you're learning when you're going through my process. You're learning how to experience that contact and the awakening is when you get to the other side and you realize, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that, 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 that I, I didn't realize I felt like that. No, because you always withdrew, you always isolated. Why? Because you feared the interaction, you feared the unknown, right? But we know the unknown is actually the known because you're going to keep going through the unknown to reach the known. And that's why you want to understand that it's a practice. Community-based learning is a practice. Learning how to live in a community is an everyday practice. And the words that I use for that is progressive investing. Teaching kids and families how to live every day to become more informed. And then you can, you can fill that in. See, I'm not trying to teach them what they are and who they are. I'm trying to let them know that you live each day because you have a brain and you have to inform the brain so that whatever comes next, you know how to learn it. You got to do the work with your brain to learn it. So you live every day, become more informed on what it takes for you to be you because it costs to be you, right? Because if you don't know how to use your labor, then someone else is going to use you and never get to know who you are. So 
I always related to parents who are in the room, and I, I, I asked them to tell people, how does it feel to be at your age? Because they would describe how they, how they feel they lost their sense of feel for self along the way. See? And so everybody's struggling to get back to the center. And the center is, no, the center is learning how to work through your brain to heal your sense and receive path functions so you can begin to interact more effectively through your fears. Because when you fall behind, the fear and the anger, just like kids, come out. But in parents, it's disappointment, it's frustration, it's hostility because they're grown. And so they actually can actually act it all out. Where kids, most of them will just have the anger, fear, and the anxiety. And you can pretty much manage that. That's why it's a mental health issue that we're talking about. Because the kids today are on the edge because now we're looking at developmental structures. They're doing things that adults are doing. So now you got to look at them as the disappointment, the front. That's how, that's how I would assess them. I looked at levels of disappointment in relation to records. I looked at levels of frustration. I look at the patterns of behavior for physical signs of aggression and hostility because that would tell me this kid is severe, moderate, not mild, severe, moderate. Moderate, severe, moderate, severe, you see? And then I would measure this based upon the estimation of how energy, action, and feeling, their blood, their, their internal um, um, temperature. I would be able to assess how energy, action, and feelings seem to be moving through them on a number line. Zero, and then on the other end, well, negative to positive. So you remember the number line. Everything to the left is negative, everything. Okay, so you can score that. You can measure that. Now you can begin to show other people what you're talking about. So you're not just talking. You're able to show them on a number line. This kid is way over here. They're like negative three. You know, so they're, they're, they, are, they are really severe. You know, because look, man, here, here's, your, here, here's what they're doing, right? And this is a mild kid. And this kid is at least, they might be cursing, but they're, they're cursing it themselves because they're so hurt. They don't know how to express what they feel or how to release it because that's contact interaction. They have never learned how to move through their own inner sense of feel for self, mental health. They have never learned how to move through their own sense of feel for self in the brain. They, they are really in crises because they really need to learn how to calm themselves down long enough to experience how they feel the brain and stop being afraid. That's what teachers are dealing with. They're afraid because you're asking them to talk to their own brain. If you look at what we're doing with the field projects, my events end up with reading, writing, acting, drawing, and performing arts. These are brain activities. So in each activity, these kids are talking to the brain. Parents, they're talking to the brain. In every event, that's what I'm teaching them. That's what I'm talking to them through. So they begin to understand if they're ready, the purpose of the brain is to communicate. It's a social organ. Your sense of feel for self and the brain are social units. They have to have outlets. So you have to go to school to learn how to express your feelings through reading, writing, talking, acting, performing. Bam. Now, what is your labor worth? 
No, that's, that's, that's the bottom line. Both of the kids understand that. For example, I got a, 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 a call from one of my kids just, just last week after we got off the phone. And this kid was in my class. He's an engineer. He's, he's calling down here to make sure I know because his sister, when I had him, he was applauding me because I never related him to his sister because his sister was comfortable in school. So he was he was appreciative of the fact that I never measured him in relation to his sister because I understood the 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 males is difficult it's harder for them to move through school and realize their potential why because it's about the labor it's about the misunderstanding of their labor but anyway this kid is an engineer his sister is an attorney so he's comfortable saying to me or sending messages back to me. I have to let Dr. Slate know it worked. It worked. I mean, that was that was very, very instrumental in just hearing that. Yeah, absolutely. Did I answer the question? Yes, yes. And I think you, I so. you made some good points about the contact interaction, progressive investing, and just in general, like working with communities and all the people that are involved and in, you know, helping uh, people better understand how their brain works. Well, you've talked a lot about um, just behavior science, uh, cognitive science, and uh, working with kids in the IEP process. Out of everything we talked about on the podcast, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Well, for me, it's education science, the literature. Not the literature, but we talk about education science, because I'm saying that it, it deals with the brain. Education is about the brain. When I began to study this stuff way back when, reading Socrates, Plato, and all those all those people, they were talking about the mind because there wasn't supposed to be a brain because it was about the labor. It was not about teaching people how to think before you develop their labor. It was about how do you how you bring people through a system you could take their labor and create a culture, right? So now it's about education and those are schools of thought. So it ties into the philosophical perspective I have on education, which is you inform the brain. So I'm trying to tell you that what I like for people to understand is that when you pick up my literature, I'm talking through a lens on how to inform the brain, to discipline the body, to focus the senses as a process. So then when you read it, you delve into process cycles. And these process cycles, you have programs. Right? Kids don't understand program because they misunderstand program. You have to have program for continuity, for growth cycles, but they don't understand that. So what you teach them is words, special words that fit right in the process program. So a kid can understand how to move through the school, move through the workplace, and not feel that the workplace is trying to take them over. So what are you talking about? No, you got a brain. You think it through. Because you're in the lead of your body, you got to learn how to use your own labor and let me develop it. That makes sense to a kid. So no, informing the brain, discipline the body, and focusing the senses. Those three things. Mm -hmm. And those are things that I've highlighted as uh, things to remember. Well, where can people find you online and connect with you? Well, I'm under drchristophercevinslayton.com. Uh, that's the website. Um, I have a blog on there. I'm also beginning to, like you, I'm beginning, I'm beginning to podcast. Um, so I'm on, I'm on Buzzsprout. 
I'm also on on um, YouTube. I'm also on YouTube, all under the doc, under Christopher Kevin Slayton. Yeah, um, and I'm also on Amazon. So I have much of my literature. I have a page on Amazon as an author. So I have an author's page there. Yeah, and and you can just send me a, a question. I'll respond. I'll respond even if I don't like the question because every question is a good question. You know, it's the ones you don't ask that don't make no sense because I don't know what they are. Yeah, so that's what I would say. Thank you. Okay. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. I've learned so much from you, and I hope it resonates with the listeners about how to understand um, behavior, how the brain works. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it very much. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches. See you.